On this episode of Resi Week, there's a brilliant home controller review, aging in place, Crestron is using biometrics, and iRobot sells your floor plan to Google. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 147, Predictive Measures. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Crestron. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for avnation.tv. And today, I am pleased to be joined by Arlen Swagger. He is the managing editor of CE Pro. How are you doing, my friend? Doing great. Thanks for having me today. Uh, happy Thanksgiving for everyone. Hope everyone had a few days off they could enjoy with their family. Mine, even though I'm not even American, it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, and we have uh, Matthew Camp. He is the Product Development Manager for Audio at Snap AV. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. And uh, as Arlen said, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I'm glad to be here as well. Excellent. All right, let's jump right in. But before we jump into the stories for today, um, Matt, because you are from Snap AV, and last week we talked about uh, Snap's recent acquisition of Volutone. Um, you know, the, the guests that we had on the show had a lot of really good comments on you know why that's good for Snap, why that's good for integrators, etc. But since you're here, you work for Snap, you know a little bit about the acquisition. Sure. Uh, give give us just a quick you know couple minute hit on you know why Snap went after Volutone and why Snap continues to, you know, I don't want to say evolve, but evolve from just a digital company in theories of uh, as far as how you obtain product, um, but into this, you know, kind of hybrid of a really strong web presence, but some, you know, ever expanding retail locations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here at Snap, we're, we're all about our customers, uh, the integrators. And so, um, you know, we're, 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 we're seeking to serve what our customers want. Um, and what that really comes down to is, is access. Um, whether that be access to product at a local location, whether that be local access to knowledge um, where they can walk into a store, the ability to pick a product up locally uh, in addition to the, the digital presence that we have as well. Um, you know, whether that be the flexibility to pick up products uh, with the, the time of day that they want, like I said, having the access to the local sales teams, the training, so it's, it's just, uh, you know, furthering our, uh, our stance in terms of how we want to serve our customers. Uh, the success of Allnet has been phenomenal. Um, and this just really expands on that in more locations and, and gives you guys what you're looking for in terms of, like I said, the, the additional locations, the additional products, and, and more flexibility to, to serve you guys. Awesome. Love it. All right, gentlemen, let's jump into our uh, first story of the day. This comes to us from Wired. It is a, rev uh, a review on the Brilliant two-switch panel. Uh, so if you don't know what the Brilliant is, is it a multiple gang switch box that essentially you can, you can have lighting control uh, of those switch legs that are in that box, as well as different uh, touchscreen controls for lights, music, music climate, uh, scenes, all kinds of things. It's essentially... Uh, like an in-wall keypad, but not, and, and, and other things. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, if you read through this review, which as a, a home technology professional, I would highly recommend you do because it's, it, it's a really interesting insight. Um, and Arlen, I kind of want to start with you on this one. When I read through this review, you know, yes, this uh, reviewer is not a home theater professional, but she plays with technology every day. 
This is what she does at Wired. But this seemed to, dare I say, really complicate her life trying to get this thing installed. And it all came from, you know, her realizing that when she left her house uh, in the hands of a dog sitter one time as she went on vacation, she took the iPad that controlled the house. So she had uh, no control over the, the, the smart home products for her friend who was, who was staying there. Hence the brilliant and uh, what it can do and the fact that obviously it stays in the wall. When you read through this, my quick takeaway was, wow, they really need a home theater professional, home technology professional to install and, and program this type of device so that people can use it. Am I reading into that too much? Uh, no, no, Matt, that was uh, exactly the impression I got while I was reading it. Of course, I read it from you know, a, C, a CE pro's eye when I'm looking at things like this. But, you know, just looking at the difficulties that she had installing it, uh, the daunting task that she starts in terms of, you know, shutting off the electrical before doing that, you know, things that homeowners don't do on a daily basis, for one thing. Um, certainly, programming, not being able to get the full functionalities and integration capabilities with Sonos, with Hue, she talked about those kind of things. Uh, you know, I looked at it and the first thing I thought was, wow, this is a great advertisement for hiring a professional. <laughs> do all this stuff for you so you don't have to worry about the installation. You don't have to worry about having problems with everything to it. You'll get, you know, the greatest capabilities you will out of it because the pros know how to do this thing every day. So I totally thought about that from, from one standpoint. And then from another standpoint, one thing that we always hear from pros is that it's even with the tablets these days and with how iPad, you know, change everything, you still really need a, you know, a great universal remote app programmed in, in your client's house just as a backup, which, you know, you, that can't, that can't be overstated here. If you, you know, if you have people over, they need to use that. Or even if, if people in your family forget how to use something or misplace a tablet, you know, where, where are you going to find this thing? You need to have a backup remote for, for that. Yeah, very good. Matt, when we look at this, you know, obviously there's lots of takeaways and we come at it, uh, you know, with a, a completely different mindset than your average wired reader probably does. But looking at this type of device, this type of thing where it's all in one, it's got the screen, it's got, you know, sliders for the, for the lighting control and, and, and everything else built in. But, this type of device doesn't really have a big following yet in the, you know, in the CDA community, if you will, they've been to the show a couple of times. I've talked to lots of people about brilliant and you get a lot of different responses within the community when they're having this much trouble, if you will, um, having it installed by again, a, a wired reviewer. What does that mean for this type of product? Not necessarily brilliant, but this type of product going forward. Yeah, I think going back to, to Arlen's comments, we've, we've got a belief here at SnapAV that, that DIY products, while they present a challenge in our industry, um, it really also presents a huge opportunity. Um, putting DIY devices in the home is only going to complicate things. Um, the interoperability and the compatibility of DIY devices uh, is only going to get more confusing as you have more partnerships with lock companies and thermostat companies. So needing um, and having that knowledge of which devices work together um, is just the beginning of that. And like you heard before, uh, you know, needing to, to, to plug this thing up into to 120 volt 
makes it, uh, you know, it, just difficult enough where it becomes a nuisance for them to do it. And then you add on top of that and layer on the uh, integration of the devices. Um, and then, and then, it, you know, it doesn't stop there. It, it extends into how to maintain the devices long-term, um, whether you're, it requires firmware updates or you want to add a new device to the system. Um, I think it, it's those types of things that make DIY devices um, really difficult to install for the consumer, and it's ultimately going to really rely on the professional to do those types of installations. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's go to our next story of the day. This comes to us from Residential Systems. Uh, Parks and Associates has uh, provided some new information that the interest in home emergency systems for consumers over 50 is continuing to grow. If you don't you know, kind of follow the, the home emergency side of things or, or the home wellness side of things is essentially think it back to that whole, I, I've, I've fallen and I can't get up button click. Um, I know we had a system like that for my grandmother, but again, it was a dumb system. It only called uh, that central monitoring station. It didn't do anything else. We're starting to see a lot of the, you know, the smart, the IOT side of things within that channel. Matt, I'm going to come back and, and start with you on this. <clears throat> This is one of those. Um, this is one of those verticals that most, you know, people in the residential channel haven't really jumped on board yet. They're not really going after uh, that wellness and and that that you know uh, living at home longer phase. Any any of that, uh, you know, aging in place type applications. There's a huge, massive market for that. What is it going to take for you know, home theater professionals, home technology professionals, who, as we talked about in the last story, are really good at this kind of stuff. What is it going to take for us to be able to jump on board uh, into this, you know, aging in place technology opportunity? Yeah, to me, to me, it's a couple things. As, as I was reading this article, what was really interesting to me is um, I have a control system in my home. Um, and at the end of the day, control system and integration and smart homes are supposed to make things easier. Um, I've had my grandmother over to my house a couple times and I hand her a single remote and try and have her figure out how to use the system. She has no clue how to do it. Um, so I think it's kind of a catch 22 where, you know, we try and make these smart homes and we try and make these things intuitive. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think it, 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 it at times can make things more difficult to really cross over into the, into the, um, ability for our industry to serve this type of market. Um, I think first and foremost, it, it comes down to reliability. Um, the, the thing just can't fail. Um, when you're talking about life-saving devices, um, you know, you can't have uh, network dependencies. You can't have, um, you know, false, false positives or false negatives. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to, to uh, the reliability of the device. Um, I think when people can figure out how to make a smart home uh, value added enough to the point where, uh, it gets smart enough and can predict things uh, and get into a predictive measure as opposed to, as opposed to a reactive measure, um, I think is when we'll start to see those types of things. And that can be, you know, um, you know, detecting motion in a particular area or noise in a particular area. But I think, you know, again, when we get to the point where uh, the solution or the home gets smart enough to add value to the point where um, it, it's super reliable, I think that's where we'll start to see some of the benefits of our industry capitalizing on this. Very good. Arlen, to, to kind of pull off what Matt was saying, when are, like younger people as a rule seem to be kind of okay with that concept of AI in their house, having some, you know, learning technology, some artificial intelligence coming in and 
predictively doing things. Uh, I know for, for myself in my own business, our older population or our senior population, they're not a fan of that at all. They're still, you know, we still have clients that have tape over cameras on monitors and everything else because they're petrified that their TV is watching them. When we start looking at, you know, the, 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 the need for AI within this aging in place type technology, how are we able to, you know, overcome that, that privacy concern? And the other question I had for you was how, how do we as uh, HTPs deal with the liability of being involved in a life safety type application? You get to. Right. Well, I think in terms of, in terms of selling the AI, you know, that's, there has to be a lot of education involved there. Uh, I think one of the things that the study, it has a cutoff point of 50 years old, which, you know, from our standpoint, when you're talking about um, uh, the aging in place, you know, aging at home, uh, digital wellness, telehealth, things like that, a lot of times that's going to not only involve the person who is, is having their safety, the elderly person having their safety managed, uh, but it'll involve, you know, a caregiver who will probably be you know, maybe between 50 and 65 at this point. That a lot of this technology is an education about what it can do is really going to have to be sold to. So in terms of the AI, you know, I think there's there just has to be uh, some of the education on that, and really to push that from what you know, going off of what Matt was saying, uh, the analytics that are being developed in terms of uh, these personal emergency response systems, you know, the burst systems like the, you know the the classic I fall and I can't get up. You know, the, the innovation with these products is really growing rapidly and it's really doing so around around the world with other elderly populations in terms of like in Japan where, you know, just like here, the markets are booming. And so I went last year, this company, a monitoring company called Avant Garde, they hold a PERS summit every couple of years and they bring in a bunch of companies to their summit. And so I saw some of this firsthand last year. I attended it last fall. And it's really innovative what the what the analytics are doing and what this artificial intelligence is really helping with. So from a pure safety point, uh, safety perspective, getting that predictive analytics can really improve the lives of the elderly population. And we know the elderly population is just huge at this point. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that has to be a, a major part of it. Very good. Just before we go, um, how do we handle the liability side of it? Uh, get a good legal team, <laughs> you know, I'm serious, you know, the contracts at that summit, they actually had one of the sessions was about all the, all the legalities to it, all the potential liabilities. And, you know, because it's a, a technology category that people on the security, the traditional security installation side, uh, a lot of them, you know, do have contracts that will deal with this sort of technology. And so they're used to it. So the, the, the tricky part will be for the home technology integrators, the IoT guys, smart home, uh, home theater people, who, who if they want to get involved in PERS and, and mobile with mobile PERS, there's, there's a lot of good selling um, opportunities for this. They're definitely going to want to consult some, some you know, well-versed lawyers in these matters to help them uh, to figure out you know, what they're liable for and what they're not liable for. And really to, to have a, an excellently written out contract 
Very good. Yeah, I think one of the other things from my perspective as well that, that can help with this, um, when you start to think about these devices in the home and going back to the comment I made earlier about reliability is, how, how do you manage these? Um, uh, Arlen, when you, when you said caregivers, um, that kind of made me think of the people who are looking after the elderly. Um, th there's also, you know, the people who are looking after the technical devices that are in, inside of people's homes. Sure. And I think one of the things that, you know, we can do as an industry um, and that we've done you know, quite successfully here at SnapAV is implemented a remote management tool where mm -hmm. you can actually monitor these devices as well. So I think a, a key part to, 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 you know, getting into this industry and being successful with it is having the right devices, um, but also having the right capabilities to monitor these things to make sure that they are working um, as they're supposed to do. So the ability to remotely reboot devices, see that things are online. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, devices needing to be up to date um, for compatibility reasons. So being able to do all those types of things remotely um, really helps the integrator in this case as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, you know just another reason why they should have remote monitoring, remote diagnostics, remote networking. These devices can't fail. And you know it's for the integrators. It's it's a, a really good value add proposition because it you know it helps them become you know more of that kind of trusted advisor that they can be relied on for anything from the customers. And in this case, it, you know you're really talking about. Uh, life-saving opportunities for them. Absolutely. And yeah, they can add some RMR to the, you know, their portfolio with that. Yep, absolutely. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next story of the day. This comes to us from CE Pro. Crustron is now offering a biometric door entry for smart home via e-key fingerprint readers. Uh, this is something that honestly surprised me a lot because this is something that from a commercial standpoint, especially a commercial access standpoint, they've been using biometrics for years, <laughs> but very rarely have we ever seen act, like true biometrics happen in the residential space. Arlen, let, let's start with you on this one. When you start to look at this and, and, and see this, and I don't know if you were one of the editors that, that was involved in this story, but Biometrics solves a lot of problems, but I feel like it's going to, or, or has potential to highly complicate the programming aspect of a, a you know, a smart home or, or using biometrics to control things within the house. What took so long for, you know, Crestron to partner with someone or, or anyone really to start to bring biometrics into the residential space? It's a good question. And honestly, I think it's probably, um, it's probably a cost factor. You know, when you look at a company like, like Crestron, it would, it, it certainly falls into their, I think their mantra of sort of this, you know, very sophisticated technologies, um, but, you know, being offered where they should be very user friendly. So something like this, you know, if all you're using is a finger to have uh, all of your access control needs, it certainly simplifies things. Uh, the device itself, you know, it's very sleek looking. It looks like it goes fits right in with, with a, a Crestron high-end system. Um, and yes, I think one of the big things will be for the end users to say, all right, show me exactly what I need to do to get the most out of this product. It can do, you know, it, it could do anything that's tied to the fingerprint. And then in terms of having it as an electronic access control system, uh, Certainly very cool for, for uh, a high-end single-family residence where, you know, you could tie in, you know, dog sitters um, 
you know, people who are scheduled to come to the house or cleaning people, repair people, and you can have uh, codes that they can use so they can get in and then, you know, they're basically changed for the next time. So you don't have to worry about copies of keys being made or fraud or things like that. Uh, and then for the family members, it's cool because you can go in and then all your settings could be tied to your finger, which is great. And then also for, for multifamily properties, I can see this being used as well. So there's a lot of a lot of things going into it. I think it's always been seen as kind of a futuristic thing. And part of that I think might be because of the cost. But, you know, I think we look at things like, um, you know, I like, I know there's a, a, a fingerprint scanner on my laptop that will get things moving. Or we look at the way that our phones use our fingerprint for things like uh, health sensing and stuff like that. I think we're just getting more used to the idea of having these biometrics. Um, and it, it's still, we look at it as being a few years off so, you know, my guess is maybe in 10 years, something like this might be totally commonplace. If we've, um, you know, it might take a company like Nest to make it more uh, consumer friendly and consumer cost friendly. But, you know, Crestron was always ahead of the game and when it comes to smart home. Uh, so they're, you know, it's like they're probably ahead of the game when it comes to something like this. Very good. Matt, when you, when you read this, when you follow this, uh, again, this might be something that's on, you know, the Snap AV corporate headquarters that you have either cards or fingerprints or something like that. But obviously, this shouldn't be that hard of a sell for your upper echelon uh, residential client. But for even your, you know, standard high-end client, is this something that they're going to want from a security standpoint, from a, a cost standpoint, from a cool factor standpoint? Or is this just another tool uh, for an HTTP to use to say, hey, if you feel that that door code isn't secure enough, we can do this? Yeah, I think, you know, my belief is that uh, people who are getting into these types of installations with these types of control systems are likely going to want some sort of access control. Um, to me, the biometric is, is just a means to an end. It, it's the means to the access control. It's just another way of doing it beyond what exists today in terms of the codes, uh, the, the code type locks that exist in the market today. The, some of the points that they made in the article were uh, around the biometric being simpler, safer, and, and to some degree smarter. Uh, and, and I agree with that. I think, I think biometric does have the ability to give end consumers a truly unique identification in terms of access control. On the flip side, um, there's, there's benefits, um, which again, simpler, you know, uh, safer, uh, smarter, but there are also limitations. Uh, you know, I think I personally have a, a smart lock on my home and I love the ability to remotely uh, configure access codes so that people can access that location. Fingerprints doesn't allow you to do that. Um, mm -hmm. I also think that there are things that need to be considered. Uh, one of the points that was made in the article was around, well, it's really cool. I can have different fingers uh, trigger different scenes. Uh, to me, things start to get really complicated when you've got uh, smart devices like an Alexa in your home and you've got different scenes inside of a control system. You're having to remember the different trigger words that you need to use for a, a smart device to uh, trigger particular scenes. Now you got to remember which finger you got to use to trigger the right scene in the home when you get home. You got to not use your thumb. You got to use your index finger to make sure you don't trigger the uh, the false alarm so that you're you, you know you're you're not trying to uh, say there's an emergency. So. Again, I think, I think there's benefits um, in terms of, of the security when it comes to the biometric. Um, I have uh, uh, quite a bit of experience in doing some biometric integration from some of the hardware development I had done in the past. 
Um, and, and you guys are absolutely right that biometric has come a long way uh, in the last 10 years or so. Um, historically, biometric was not so reliable, um, but I think it's getting a lot better. Um, I can definitely see that in the next 10 years or so, as things continue to evolve, um, there will be uh, other means, again, to the end of, of access control that I think will get to a, a, a more personalized manner, like fingerprints or retinal displays or something like that. I mean, just like face identification on, on iPhones um, is a very unique identification, even one step beyond uh, a biometric. So I think that'll continue to evolve over time. Very good. All right, gentlemen, let's quickly hit the last story of the day because I really like it. Uh, this comes <laughs> to us from Residential Tech Today. iRobot and Google have announced a collaboration to advance the smart home by serving up their mapping. If you didn't know, and I, I've enjoyed telling people this for, for quite a while, uh, the Roombas can map your home in and they learn the floor print of your home and, and make that tech or that, that information uh, somewhat available, we'll say. Uh, so Matt, I want to come back and start with you on this one. When you start to read this and, and, and you know that, yes, there's some opportunities there, right? To know what the floor plan is and have Google be able to uh, interpret, okay, Google, turn on this in this room and it knows the floor print. There's some good potential there. But does it concern you to know that another uh, company has access to that type of data. I know it sounds benign, but knowing exactly the floor floor print of your home is that a concerning point? Yeah, I think I think it depends on the person. Um, I think they're really uh, it's kind of a, a polar opinion when it comes to personal data. Uh, there are a lot of people who who do everything to any degree to protect their personal data, and then there are some folks who say. Uh, my data is out there. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't matter how you protect it or what you try and do. Um, I, I personally uh, kind of fall in between. Um, and, and I do think that there is some concern uh, around the way that you can map out a home um, and give access to that. Um, I think somewhere in the article they mentioned um, that uh, they had exposed roughly a half a billion um, Google users data. Um, in this platform. I think that's, that's really scary. Um, going back to the access control, um, knowing the layout of somebody's house in detail um, can be quite scary. Uh, I think there's a happy medium uh, that can be accomplished here. And, and this article is actually really cool and exciting. Um, like you said before, this was just uh, fun to read about and to kind of envision all the opportunities and things that can be done with this. But um, I think that there's a, there's, there's a way that um, you know, Google could potentially get creative with protecting the personal data of the home, using that data uh, locally inside of the home, and using that for things like um, the things that come to mind for me being uh, on the audio side within Snap AV is mapping out a room and understanding where furniture is, understanding where the walls are, applying customized EQ settings potentially uh, to amplifiers. If you move your furniture around, um, it can automatically adjust those EQ settings. If, if you leave something out, uh, for example, uh, you start to think about, uh, like we had talked about earlier, where the wall sensor or the, the wall device has different sensors in it. If you have different types of sensors when you're mapping out the house, you can do uh, things like, uh, you know, uh, detecting where the sun comes in at particular uh, points in the house at particular times of the day and adjusting shades, um, for example. Um, you can potentially do things like, mapping out the network in a home uh, using a device like this, or if it's detecting the network signal as it moves around the home and maps that out, you can create a network heat map within the home. So I think the opportunities 
um, are significant um, when it comes to these types of things and understanding the different locations within the home. But going back to your question, um, I, I definitely think that there's concern around just privacy and data in general. Um, this is this is a hot topic, um, you know, with us uh, and how we uh, how we manage the network and how we manage that data. Um, and I think that'll continue to be uh, a concern for for the clientele that our industry tends to serve as well. Um, you know, a lot of times the people in our industry are our customers. Customers. Um, care a lot about their data uh, and, and they don't want uh, that stuff exposed. So I, th I think there's a catch 22. I think we have to be able to, to utilize the technology to the best that we can um, and, and protect the data the best that we can as well. Very good. Arlen, I'll give you a quick last word on this. Is anyone that you're aware of prepared today to utilize this type of information in any form of programming or is this all stuff that's down the road? <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure the Google people have some, you know, top-notch uh, engineers there who have have some forward thinking for even, you know, some of the stuff that that Matt mentioned. You know, I think there are people within their company who can probably figure out something to do with it. For me, I was struggling to even come up with things like that. My my default was, okay, how is Google going to figure out, you know, what kind of ad to give me based on where my I robot is going, you know, my Roomba is going in my house where it'll look and say, Hey, you know, I think you need more artwork for that wall or, you know, it looks like you need to add a TV in this space. I, I, I just see more advertising coming from Google from it. <laughs> Maybe from a, from a CE pro standpoint, it's a, it's another argument for them to sell central vacuum systems that are profitable and people don't have to worry about their privacy for there you go. I love it. All right, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Arlen, if people want to connect with you, learn more about CE Pro, see the stuff that you uh, are writing about, where can they do that? So you can go to cepro.com. Uh, we always have fresh content every day. And then I'm on Twitter, uh, just add Arlen Schweiger, my name. And then uh, we have CE underscore pro as well for finding us there. Excellent. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me today, Matt. Hey, thanks for coming. Always appreciate it. Matt, thanks for joining us for your inaugural time, unfortunately, with me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but if people want to connect with you, learn more about Snap AV, where can they do that? Uh, best place to reach me is Matthew.camp, and that's K-A-M-P at SnapAV.com. And uh, again, thank you for having me as well. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. Always appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us for myself if you'd like to connect with me you can find me on twitter at matt d scott and every other social platform but more importantly please stop by avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover when you visit the website please take a moment to check out our supporters we are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well thanks again for watching that's all the time we have for this episode of resi week 